Welcome back to Identity Architects, the podcast that spotlights the incredible leaders in the media industry shaping the future of data-driven advertising. I'm your host, Ben Chichetti, and it's been an incredible year for the podcast. We've spoken to so many brilliant industry leaders who have shared so many amazing insights, inspiring stories, and powerful advice. For the final episode of 2023, we want to take a look back at some of our favorite moments from the year. And as we kicked off 2023, AI was top of mind across the entire media industry, as organizations explored the possible impact on how we plan, execute, and measure digital advertising. As we caught up with Di Mays, Global Head of Data and AI at WPP, she shared the importance of understanding the data that we feed AI. I'm really conscious about the unintended consequences of data and then how, how that feeds in to AI um, and then what we eventually will be asking the machines to do. And no one, well, let's say not no one, but most people don't mean any harm, whether you're accidentally or unintentionally offering different prices to different ethnicities or genders, or whether you're excluding groups, you know, the digital divide is real and uh, could be helped by data, but possibly is being made worse. I think the KPIs that we have to set, you know, it's got to be more efficient and it's got to be more cost effective and you've got to do more with less is potentially creating bubbles in society. And that that worries me. And it's never the data that's the evil person. It's the bad actor. But I, I worry about that. But AI wasn't the only technology on everyone's mind. As we entered 2023, InfoSum predicted that we'd move from a state of cleanroom curiosity to cleanroom construction, and that's exactly what we saw. And the first step in this construction was organizations seeking definitions. Enter Shaylee Singh, COO and EVP, product at IAB Tech Labs. It is hard to define a clean room because uh, there are different flavors of it available. Uh, it's an evolving um, uh, uh, product category and people are coming up with different innovative ideas on how to execute uh, a clean room, uh, data clean room. Uh, so we, what the working group did was instead of having like a one to line definition, we went about describing some of the key characteristics that define a modern uh, data clean room uh, that uh, you should, you should look at that helps you kind of cut through the bullshit and identify that what is a proper data clean room. Uh, so some of these characteristics were, one was isolation of data that, you know, one party uh, operating in a clean room should not be able to learn the other party's data, but still be able to extract inferences that they need for their business purpose. Uh, the second one was uh, privacy enhancing technologies that a clean room must uh, deploy uh, at least one or more uh, privacy enhancing technologies to ensure uh, the privacy uh, preservance of the personal data that's involved uh, in the data sets. Uh, the third one was uh, uh, beyond just applying PETs, uh, we know that there are still vulnerabilities and uh, scenarios of threat or collusion uh, that can uh, still you know, render all of your work uh, meaningless if somebody is able to uh, break that chain. Um, so then there are, uh, the, the clean room should apply a certain governance and control uh, in the use cases and and from end-to-end purposes so that, uh, you know, your, your, um, your privacy's uh, personal data is preserved and your personal information of consumers that is involved in the data set is secured. Uh, and the third is, uh, of course, governance control, like any other system uh, we define, like it should have 
you know, like scoped access and uh, controls on how long the data is there, what is the expiry and, and transparency around all of that. Data clean rooms enable organizations to unlock more value from their first party data and better understand their customers. We talked to Chris Andrews, head of marketing technology at Wake the Bear, on how clean rooms enable this in a privacy first way. Obviously, the work we've been doing, you guys at InfoSum, the data clean room space is obviously absolutely fascinating. It's been really, really instructive over the last sort of period of time that we've been working together to, to properly understand that. And I think it, it's such a it's such an intuitive um intuitive kind of use case and intuitive solution to that kind of a problem um which is to say well actually you know we've got this first party data we've collected this information you know completely consented completely you know customers who are willing to you know engage with us customers willing to understand that and we want to understand them in a much you know completely compliant completely privacy safe way um so it's actually able to query that to link up with other partners in the industry to go actually here's, here's the information that i want to learn about my customers here's the information that you can tell me about your customers let's kind of connect those bits together um completely secure people i think it's, it's absolutely brilliant and i think it's we've had some sort of baby steps so far um but you know the brand we're working with obviously not necessarily one that you would necessarily straight off the bat say would be the typical data clean room use case but actually you know we've been able to get some really kind of useful insight quite quickly out of it as well um, so, you know, we've done some work with Channel 4, for example, we've seen some incremental uplift on, on, on activity we've run. We're looking at some kind of, you know, profiling some insights, some of the brilliant kind of data partners as well. So what that just opens up is, you know, great stuff across insight, it opens great stuff across, you know, activation and, and also, you know, potentially, hopefully in the future, can, you know, again, open up some commercial opportunities as well between the brands that are kind of in there. So it sounds like I'm sort of shilling, I'm definitely being paid for this, but it's, it's definitely one of those that we've kind of talked about. And I think we're definitely seeing huge amounts of value for, for us and for our clients as well, is it's helping a lot. It's helping a lot of interesting and intellectually stimulating conversations, really, which is, which is which is brilliant. Data cleanrooms have enabled other media trends to emerge as hot topics in 2023. First and foremost, there's been the dominant conversation around retail media. In our first identity architects from down under, we caught up with Troy Townsend, co-founder and CEO of Zitcher, on how cleanrooms are being used by retailers. Yeah, well, I think when it comes to the utilization of, of their 1PD is like, the first question is, you know, what's the outcome that they're trying to achieve? I think, I mean, to bring um, what, you know, to look at retail media and then look at um, a retailer and the data that they bring to the table and then look at the, the data that the brand are bringing to the table and how do they, as a brand, what do I do in order to, to add value to the data that I've collected here and also connect that into um, into the retailer's environment. So I think, um, you know, and talking to the partnership that we have at InfoSum around clean rooms, I think clean rooms is is such an amazing um, opportunity for brands to be to be able to add value on top of the of the data set that they're collecting um, from a retailer's perspective. And I think I think we're starting to see this this growth in where a retailer not only want to help a brand sort of connect across um, the retailer's assets, but also how does the data that the retailer has help the brand connect across their assets? So I think we're going to start to see a massive shift, or not a shift, but a but a, a growth trajectory in being able to to run across a retail, but also run across the brand. So I think I think the use of clean rooms and and how that value um, adds into into the into the brand and to the retailer. To be honest, I think it it adds value on both sides. Retail media isn't the only media channel enhanced by data cleanroom technology. 
We caught up with Wade Rifkin, EVP GM Programmatic at Clear Channel Outdoor on how data collaboration is being used for out-of-home advertising. I mean, pretty simply, we want to help uh, enable advertisers to use their first-party data more broadly and an even in an even more integrated fashion, right? So, you know, it's no surprise to anyone that first-party data is, you know, the, the meaningful direction for um for data application that the industry is focused on. So we are certainly trying to, um, to swim with the tide uh, on that one. And um, so essentially what we're trying to do is make sure we can meet our customers and our buyers where they are. Um, and data clean rooms are um, a key arena for that type of privacy centric data collaboration, first party data uh, enrichment or uh, activation that you know buyers are choosing to use, so we now can play in that space, um, and that's really uh, what we hope to do. The specific use cases there will vary based on the advertiser, based on the verticals, and we you know touched on a few. Um, but having the flexibility um, and the kind of safety of the environment that the data clean room affords, um, you know, we're excited to be able to do that with an increasing number of test partners as uh, as our relationship with with you. Uh, progresses. One of the driving forces behind the rapid adoption of data clean rooms has been the ongoing transition away from third-party cookie-driven advertising to a new privacy-first era for our industry, where first-party data becomes an organization's most valuable asset. But this transition has not always been smooth, and we caught up with Mathieu Roche, co-founder and CEO at ID5, on this transformation. It's down to us to make it happen, but there is little kind of common incentive just because of the business model that we're working with uh, doesn't incentivize us to reach kind of a, a, a larger part of the population. So I think I think that's where we are. And I think it's getting better. I think, you know, we started we started 85 in 2017. So cookie less wasn't even a word then. <laughs> um, um, but, um, but uh, you know, having kind of been been, you know, banging that drum for the past seven years, six years is like, I think, us and others, right? It's 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 becoming more of a common topic that we're missing out on a big part of the world, um, and and uh, uh, yeah, so so we're getting there. It's um it's a fundamental transformation. I mean, we're, we're changing the engine in mid-flight, right? Like it's literally we're we're rebuilding the house, we're, we're replacing the foundation with without kind of uh, allowing the house to crumble, right? That's that's um so so that's that's the type of that's the type of, of challenge we're up against, right? It's, we have to make that transition happen without, uh, 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 well, the luxury of like stopping everything for a year and rebuilding it from scratch on a new foundation, right? Because that doesn't work, right? So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really, really complex challenge and you need everybody's incentive to be aligned. I don't think they are still. So we need to make those incentives kind of clearer and we need to put more pressure because there's no question of if, there's, there's a question of when. And the sooner the better, because it's already a massive pain for a lot of brands and a lot of publishers. As the industry goes through this transformation, Justin de Brabron, SVP Product at Action IQ, stressed the importance of not simply replacing the old with the new. Brands cannot look to replace what they did in the past with new technologies. Um, there's not going to be a one-for-one -one mapping where they just swap out acronyms, right? A, DMP now becomes a CDP, great, we're done, right? And we do the same thing. Um, it's it, it doesn't work like that, right? There needs to be a shift in strategy, how you go about this. Um, and, you know, I don't think everybody's fully uh, recognized that or acknowledged that. 
And so sometimes there's, you know, just looking for the next thing to fit in the exact slot that existed before. And I think that's the wrong approach. Um, and if brands try to do that, then, you know, in two or three years, they're going to be, you know, going through this whole process again, as the technology and the privacy landscape shifts once more. It feels like we've been on this journey to a cookie ecosystem for several years now. Yet still today, there are technology providers and organizations heavily reliant on third-party cookies. So when we spoke to Christopher Rear, General Director of Data at Axel Springer All Media, we got his perspective on this inertia. Get over this last hesitancy. Like, accept that the, that the change is there. Like, there's so many discussions still where people hope that it's going to be postponed once more. And like the old business models are going to work out and third party cookies are going to, going to stay. And any, like I still see business models pitched that are completely based on third party cookies. And that's not going to work. And it's, it's still, it's already not working because matching rates are below 40% and, and Safari is blocking and, and so on and so on. Um, and I sometimes wonder how, how, how such a forward, such a future focused branch like ours can always be so hesitant to, to move. But I think that's the one thing, like accept that the change is coming um, and then really get into testing. I really put also the budgets there and make a decision. I think like if you accept that stuff is coming, then you have to make a decision. And you, you remember what I said earlier, like rather take a, like some kind of decision that is at least fact-based and like redo it once you realize it didn't work out because at least you learned something from it. But make a decision and move away out of the, of, out of the convenient way because the, the way we've, we're doing advertising, but even more like personalization of digital services is going to change massively. And it's already changed. And trying to stick to the old ways is not going to help. Because it also like anyone who, who tries to define the change is always going to be rolled over by the wave, right? So as we head into 2024, what will it take for our industry to finally move away from third-party cookies? In our penultimate episode of Identity Architects in 2023, I had the chance to speak to Theron Oliphant from Essence Mediacom, who touched on why this driver needs to be more than privacy, it has to be performance. The industry is almost like a macrocosm of the individual, um, in that uh, oftentimes when, when, when there's a level of, level of comfortability, there has to be some sort of push. Uh, and, the, and there also needs to be clear value um, that comes from making a change. Uh, and until people see that value, i.e. businesses in this context, um, they, they will not make that change, right? Um, and I think what we're starting to see is there are companies who are on the forefront, who have some use cases, who, sh who have been able to actually show that what we're putting in place from these privacy-enhancing technologies perspective is, is value-add. Right. The marketer, hey, I mean, we know the CMO is the, the, the shortest tenured C-suite individual in all of these businesses. And I truly believe that showing the, the performance capabilities of privacy enhancing technologies will move us much faster. There will be some velocity finally to moving toward getting um, off of third party cookies or um, the, 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 the broader I think um, value add of respecting privacy while still utilizing consumer data to drive marketing. The one perspective that came up time and time again on the podcast was that of the consumer. 
While it can often feel like the consumer is absent from the room when we're having these conversations, as we discussed with Anita Klinkosh from Havas Media Group, she reminded us that the consumer is always in the room. Outside of, you know, being brands, advertisers, agencies, publishers, data companies, you name it, we are all consumers. So, you know, honouring that consumer expectations about their data, um, about their privacy, really means building a better ecosystem for ourselves too. So, you know, an ecosystem where we can focus on that transparency and value exchange, something that we referred to, um, you know, previously. But it really requires a, you know, a collaborative effort from absolutely everyone involved and working together um, to really find those solutions that work for both sides of the advertising world because those who can have an impact and those who can rebuild those foundation of advert of you know of advertising do actually exist in both of those worlds so we all need to agree on how we collect consumer data and what do we give in return of that data how that data is being handled and how it's activated you know like consumer behavior has evolved massively since you know we first started using internet connected devices and and we really need to rethink what the advertising world should, should look like you know a world that connects brands with consumers to drive a meaningful uh, you know exchange meaningful meaningful results uh, without infringing on, on on privacy and i think that the change is actually happening you know privacy and compliance are huge parts of our everyday conversations with our clients um they are a huge part of how we approach building uh, strategies and how we service our clients as an agency. And I really see this collaborative effort every day um, where basically everyone fills in and holds the other party accountable. As the famous phrase goes, with great power comes great responsibility. And when you're collecting customer data, you're not just taking on the power to use that information to drive richer customer experiences you're taking on the responsibility to be guardians of that data. When we spoke with Margaret Jobling, CMO at NatWest, she discussed this exact balancing act. The thing I feel passionate about is, and I say it all the time internally, is the reason we exist and the person that buys our beer on a Friday night is our customers. And therefore we have to engineer ourselves and organize ourselves to deliver what our customers need from us at the right time and be part of the solution for their worlds and as brands unless we do that we're going to be extinct and therefore our job is to make sure we really understand the people we serve and we're doing the right thing for them and for me data is such a critical and technology enabler to enact that Um, so it's a very important conversation because you know, we're in a very privileged place that we we have the ability to make an impact. We used to need to use that carefully and responsibly. Putting the consumer first would seem like the obvious move for customer-centric organisations. But as we caught up with Stephen Shepherd, Media Strategy and Partnerships Director at Dunhumby, he explained why it's not just about importance, it's about avoiding taking the easy option. I would go back to customer first. So... I think if you're adopting a customer mindset, you have to think, what is it that's good for the customer? Um, I think the challenge in the industry is actually not necessarily taking the easy option, which could be about, 
you know, lots of advertising, saturating, whether it's a website or a store with advertising, but making it relevant and making it focused on the customer, which may not be the easiest option, but actually it's the one that will, you know, your customers, I would assume will, and we have obviously evidence to back this up that, you know, if you're delivering customer first and relevant targeted um, solutions, that's what your customer will engage with. And to be honest, if we go back to the 10 year old example, probably will expect um, and working in that way. So it becomes around the customer and it's not just about delivering, whether it's media revenues or other objectives, make it about the customer, I think is the key area. Often when we discuss the consumer, the topic of the value exchange comes up. What can a business offer to their customers in exchange for their data? This was exactly the topic Soren Dinesen, CEO at Digisec, touched on when we spoke to him early in 2023. We are in a position where we can choose what direction our society should go in. Um, and consumers, they, 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 they not only want control, they demand control. And, and, and the current user experience of opt-out is, is not where it should be. Uh, that's my personal opinion, right? You had GDPR coming in and then TFC 2.0 uh, made a system where you could just uh, get the consent in abundance, right? And we would do business as usual. And, and there was, it was, um, it was consent or, you know, opt out of is it's not where, where, where it should be. You know, consent is following the, the letter of the law or TFC 2.0 is following the letter of the law but it's not really following the spirit of that law. The spirit were to, to really empower consumers and take actions and say, do I want to give this publisher my consent um, to monetize this piece of, uh, this inventory that I'm creating, um, this ad space, you know, my identity. It's, it's simply too complex, right? It's, um, the, the trade-off is not clear. What, what am I giving away when I do this, you know? And, uh, and it, it, maybe it it shouldn't be you know in a consent button. It there needs to be a better way. I I I don't have the answer for it, what it should look like, but I'm just saying that what we do now is broken. <laughs> you know, it's uh, uh, that's that's my personal opinion. Yeah. When considering how organisations can use customer data, it's also important to ask whether an organisation should use that data. When we talked to Nick Travis, head of paid digital marketing at Lloyd's Banking Group, he talked about the importance of data ethics. I'm super passionate about kind of um, data ethics, right? Um, uh, so that's not regulation. Um, um, it, it's, it's ethically, what should we be doing with customer data? Uh, would a customer reasonably expect that uh, with the consents that they've given us and the transparency over our current disclosures, would they reasonably expect that we would use their data in this way? Uh, and I think kind of there needs to be kind of more focus in the industry around kind of ethics um, and organizations and uh, setting their own kind of ethical standards of who do you want to work with, right? You know, do the kind of ad tech partners reach your ethical standards, not the kind of um it, have they got some kind of gdpr loophole they can get through or sorry like you know what data do they take how do they do it does it kind of are you comfortable that it meets your ethical standards and that you are comfortable therefore being associated with them 
Um, so yeah, data ethics is the is the bit that kind of keeps me awake at night, and making sure that we do the right thing uh, at, at all times with the kind of trust that has been put in us from our customers. Becky Harris, Vice President, Global Head of Ad and Data Products at Dynata, expanded on the idea of ethical data collection, especially as it relates to the ongoing discussions around measurement. The critical component that I find is really understanding what a client's objectives are and ultimately what they're trying to achieve. So, you know, with that and how to improve the measurement, we've actually got sort of two components to this. So I personally think that firstly, we don't need to collect data just for the sake of collecting it, you know, really focus in on what success looks like for measurement in your world. Ensure we're collecting the right data from the right people for the right reasons. I think we have a stance to ensure that we're not handling data that we do not need to be handling for sure. Um, Secondly, I would say that we need to focus on the individuals who are willing to provide their data in the first place. I definitely think there needs to be more education for consumers and what's actually happening with their data. You know, it isn't all bad. There's so much hype around that. But I would love them to be able to then make an educated choice in a way that they are comfortable with, with that value exchange. Every company is at a different stage of its first party data journey. The companies that will be the most successful in this journey have a clear plan that centers on the consumer. When we spoke to Patrick Zinger, media, data and technology lead at Heineken UK, he discussed the importance of being consumer first. We're still on our own journey um in terms of you know really realizing um the impact uh that first party data uh, acquisition can actually have on planning for the future right um everything that we do is all about the consumer and having the consumer at the heart of everything that we do and the best way to essentially do that is to speak to them directly and that could be one-to-one communications through your own platforms social platforms for example any of your owned assets or it could be through surveys etc and the best way for us to collect that data is understanding our consumers more understanding the value exchange more than anything else so whatever we do we try to bring it back to the audience because each of our brands Uh, have different audiences, different demand spaces that they focus on. And what we try to do is go, okay, if you're a sports enthusiast, we need to really understand what is important to you as a sports enthusiast when it comes to value exchange. Is it experiences? Are you more happy to provide us your first party data, for example, if we have on offer, for example, tickets to the cricket or tickets to F1, tickets to the football, etc.? Or if we're looking at it from a Heineken Silver perspective, which is targeting a younger demographic, are you more interested in festivals, in music, in creating experiences at home? We, we have to look at all aspects of our consumer that we're trying to engage with and really get to grips with, okay, what can I give you as a brand that goes above and beyond just the functional needs, right? So we're an alcohol brand, we produce beverages, uh, you know, really good quality beverages, I have to say, with my Heineken hat on. But we, the whole point of our existence is creating good times for consumers. So we need to go above and beyond just going, 
here's a competition, you know, sign up, you know, um, and you might be in with a chance of winning something. Don't know yet, but please give us your your data. It needs to be who is their consumer? What do they actually want from us? What what is our purpose within their day to day lives? And how can we enhance their day to day lives by providing those experiences and those uh, gifts or whatever you want to call it that get them to think of us in a much better scenario because the best way to grow our brands is by creating that consumer love and making them think of us as not just brands that they have every now and then but brands that align with their values that provides them uh, like I said above and beyond just their, their, their functional needs. One of the personal mantras that I live by is be the person that you needed when you were younger. Throughout the year, we had the opportunity to speak to so many amazing individuals who are not just incredible industry leaders, but also inspiring female leaders. During Women's History Month, we spoke to Hannah Brown, Director of Products at Axiom, on female leadership and how we can foster an environment that empowers the next generation of female leaders. There are two things that are critical to this. Um, the first one is uh, we need to be hiring women into our upper, our, our le- upper tiers of leadership. Um, there's, I don't know all the statistics, but women in technology have a good representation in lower and middle tiers and in upper, it just, it's abysmal and it just completely falls away. So we need to be making sure that women are represented there so that, so that other women can see them as an inspiration and that we're not having a, a biased approach to hiring. Um, but I think one of our biggest prohibitors uh, of of that. And the second thing is the fact that our maternity leave is not adequate in this country. We need to have way better federal and state benchmarks for maternity leave. We need to have at least six months paid maternity leave. And um, women need to have continuation of things like their benefits and their 401k because women are going and having babies and not being able to put money into their retirement and are becoming impoverized in their later years. Whereas our male counterparts, um, they may have taken paternity leave as well, but maybe not for as long a time. And they're getting a continuation of things like their 401k. So, and until we have better maternity leave, we're not going to be able to, to continue to have as many women stay in our companies um, for, for long periods of time and get the experience they need to be in the upper um, echelons of our management. I couldn't agree more. So when we had the chance to speak to Jessica Gotardo, head of commercial data products at Global, we asked her how we break down barriers, especially in the areas of data and technology. But you look at some areas which kind of touch closely to data, such as kind of IT or tech or maths. And again, they're all really male dominated industries. Um, I think there are a few things that need to be done to, to change this. The first is being able to reach girls at a young age to help break gender stereotypes. I still think there are plenty of stereotypes out there and they think they think of data or they think of maths or they think of coding or technology or anything technical and they think, oh, well, you know, boys do that, men do that. Um, and I think there's a, an air of almost intimidation in it as well. Being the only woman in a, in a room of men is can be quite intimidating. Um, and I think sometimes you feel like you need to speak louder or shout louder to be heard in that room. And that isn't the right approach. That is not how I work. That is not how I think a lot of my colleagues work. Um, and it's really just adjusting what those norms look like. Um, and I think it's not just explaining what the options are. 
um, and within industries and, and what's possible. I think it's explaining that data aren't just numbers and it's not just a technical role. There's so much more to it. My role is not technical. There is there is so much more to da- data than zeros and ones. As an LGBTQ plus leader, I'm personally always conscious of the importance of being visible and vocal all year round and not just for pride. But every year, pride does play a crucial role in creating a heightened spotlight, not only on the challenges faced by the LGBTQ plus community, but also the joys of our queer community. So when I spoke to Lucy McKillop, joint CEO at Advertising, she shared why pride is still so important in 2023. Pride is important and it's not just important, it's necessary. It is an, it's like an imperative because without pride, the queer community don't necessarily have the opportunity to protest, to celebrate, to um, have a kind of dedicated time and or period to feel like there's a culmination of our kind of energy and feeling, right? But I think one of the things that we talk about a lot at advertising and is something that I'm, you know, coaching other people through is that in that month, organisations can sometimes, in a very well-meaning way, expect their queer employees to perform oh it's your month so you can just come and talk to us about your lived experience um or like oh there's loads of trans hate going on in the media so we want a trans person to come and talk to us this pride month and so on the one side yes it's really important that these Um, opportunities are generated for the community Um, but I think we've hit a point now where Pride Month celebrations and I put celebrations in quote marks need to be backed up with tangible action. As we wrap up 2023, 2024 promises to be a year of big change. One of the industries that has transformed significantly over the last few years has been TV. So when we caught up with Matt Hill, Director of Research and Planning at Thinkbox, we discussed where he sees the industry going over the next five years. In five years' time, the TV is going to be in a really, really interesting place in bringing together the best of both worlds. So by the best of both worlds, I mean it's the the ability of TV to um, tell an engaging story, um, uh, you know, across 30 60 seconds of, uh, of airtime uh, in an environment that's trusted uh, and, and respected uh, in, a, uh, in people's favourite content, um, alongside all the, the, the targeting capability that the, the online world brings. And, um, you know, I think online has been promising um, for years and years these, the, these efficiencies uh, and this, this enhanced effectiveness to, to advertisers. Um, and I'm not sure we've we've never we, we've c- completely seen that realised. Um, uh, but I think in five years' time we could be seeing some really really exciting stuff. Privacy has evolved significantly over the last five years, with the introduction of the GDPR being a tentpole moment. 
So when I had the chance to speak with Tone Copins, Director of Advertising, Data and Identity at DPG Media, he discussed how he hopes the privacy landscape and the industry's approach to the GDPR will change in the coming year. We hope that the uh, kind of debate in the industry goes back to like the spirit of GDPR because we believe GDPR is really something important and should be about um, isn't your data being broadcasted, isn't your data leaking across the whole industry and so on. And in the last couple of months, we saw five years after the start of GDPR, we saw GDPR going into a little bit the wrong direction, to my opinion. Like it's only about do you ask consent in the right way? Aren't you using uh, dark patterns um, and and so on? And that's, I would say, the full debate. After you have given consent, what happens then? If you then work with 300 vendors that um, enrich their ID graphs and do whatever what they have been doing in the last 20 years, which everybody knows, like, mm, that's not something I like and you can't explain to your mom, we don't talk anymore about it. And so it's the wrong kind of discussion. It all goes about how do you ask consent and is there a reject all button on the first screen, yes or no? And what is it leading to? What we are seeing across whole of Europe, you have an accept all or a reject all. And if you push the reject all button, just like Facebook now is doing, there is a pop-up, please pay. It's not only uh, Facebook, but also a lot of media companies in France, uh, Germany, Austria are using this approach. And at the end, it's for a consumer, it's about paying with your data or paying with money. Where I'm not sure if that's really the right thing you want to do under GDPR. As an industry, we're in a state of transition. It's often questioned who's responsible for driving this change forward. When I caught up with Dora McCall-Clendenen, Chief Strategy Officer at the Ozone Project, she touched on the move to a sustainable media ecosystem. I think we have a collective responsibility to grow and maintain a sustainable media ecosystem. Um, this idea of sort of collective ownership of that responsibility, I think is quite important. Um, that will secure a future for the premium web, for sure. Um, I think ridding our industry of unhelpful ad tech metrics will begin to go a long way. You know, things things like, you know, post-click attribution or post-view attribution, the latter of which I don't think is going to last very long, post-cookie anyway, post-third-party cookie anyway. Um, but a focus on long-term, real-world business metrics really should be what we care about. That should be, I'm sure, what CMOs and CFOs care about. Um, and I think a commitment to focus on quality rather than low-value inventory across the open web, which, as we know, is just beset with problems, ad fraud, etc. cetera. Um, I think it's all possible if we collectively agree uh, that we want to do better than we did yesterday. Um, and I think as well, we should all, we should push back on those who say it is impossible and probably question their agenda. Too often, this transition is seen in a negative light. But the reality is that we have the opportunity to reimagine the media industry for a better future. So when we caught up with Samantha Jacobson, Chief Strategy Officer at the Trade Desk, not only did she discuss the opportunities ahead, but she also touched on why it's so important that we get it right this time. I think we just have such an opportunity ahead of us to change the ecosystem. I think that advertising has been around, you know, for ages and ages and ages. Um, and I think that we 
advertising layered with technology gives us the opportunity to make consumers' lives better. And I think it's up to us to embrace that, to take risks, to reimagine what the world can look like, and to lean into it collectively. Because no one company is going to be able to do it alone. So I think it takes that collaboration and that coalition. But I also hope we don't fuck it up. A massive thank you to all of our identity architects in 2023. I've had the opportunity to speak to so many incredible people and hear so many inspiring conversations and stories. We'll be back with a new episode of Identity Architects in January, and we are quickly approaching episode number 50, and we have something very exciting planned. So be sure to hit that subscribe button so you know when that episode drops. But until then, thanks for listening and happy holidays.